Welcome to you all today. I'm Paul Pepis, Director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Carl Poles, a, a Champagne and Ajac First Nation citizen and a Talton Comics artist, illustrator, and printmaker from Haines Junction, Yukon Territory. He earned a BFA in illustration from the Emily Carr University of Art and Design. Pauls has published three collections of his graphic narratives, Doc Wakata Warriors, Pizza Punks, and Quander. In 2017, Pauls won Broken Pencil Magazine's Best Comic and Best Zine of the Year awards for Doc Wakata Warriors 2. In 2020, Doc Wakata Warriors won Best Work in an Indigenous Language from Indigenous Voices Awards and was nominated for the Doug Wright Award categories, the Egghead, Egghead and Nipper. In 2022, Artspeak Gallery Vancouver held the first solo, solo exhibition of Paul's work, Dajan Quandurche. Uh, this is a story. So Cole Pauls gave the second talk in this year's Indigenous Comics Speakers Series on February 21st, 2024, hosted by the Native American and Indigenous Studies Program and the Comics and Cartoon Studies Program at the University of Oregon. Thanks, Cole, for coming on the show. It's good to have you with us. Yeah, thank you. So as I mentioned, you are Talton. Tell us a bit about your home community, Haines Junction in the Yukon Territory. Uh, Haines Junction is a small town of 800 people. And uh, what you picture on a postcard of the Yukon, that's Haines Junction. It is uh, very beautiful. Um, when I was a kid, I was often asked from tourists if our mountains were fake because they're so picture perfect. Um, and we'd be like, yeah, they're made out of cardboard. Just knock them down. You have to put them back up every time it gets really windy. So um, what sparked your interest in comics and illustration? Uh, well, my family has a lot of artists in it. And the, the idea of uh, being an artist as a career was very normalized in my family. Um, and for me, comics, you know, I was just like, we'd get the newspaper and I'd go straight to the comics and I'd read The Far Side or Calvin Hobbes. Um, Calvin Hobbes I had a huge interest in because of Yukon Ho. Yeah. And they talked about the Yukon. And I was like, I couldn't believe that there was a comic that had the Yukon in it. Um, so when I was a kid, I was like, there's representation of my territory in Calvin Hobbes. So I know that you live in Vancouver, so why did you go there? Uh, well. I went to go for Emily Carr, and then I've just stayed ever since because I love the comics community there, and um, yeah, my, my roots are deeply planted there now. And the music community too, I understand. Yes, yeah, I love the music community. Um, usually when bands do a North American tour, they go to Toronto and Vancouver, you know, the two opposite sides of Canada. Um, so luckily I live in Vancouver, so a lot of the bands I like to see go to Vancouver. And uh, Vancouver's also known for its punk scene, so yeah, it's a, it's a good place to be. Okay, so it's known for its punk scene. Your first scene is Pizza Punks, mm -hmm. so tell me how that came about. Well, <clears throat> at Emily Carr, uh, I just tried twisting every single classroom assignment into a Pizza Punk strip. And originally, I was offered to contribute to a magazine called Dunk which was published by Lucky's Comics in Vancouver. And uh, so I got offered it the same month I moved to Vancouver. And then all, all of a sudden I had a deadline every month to you know, <laughs> do a new strip. Um, 
So on top of contributing to the magazine, I was, you know, making more uh, strips for the classroom. Um, and then I just kind of tried to make it a goal that like every semester I'd make a new issue of it. Um, because a friend of mine, um, Farrell Darlimple, um, when he went to art school, he told me that his biggest uh, regret was not coming out with like a finished product. Like he was very happy that he learned new skills and um, had that experience, but he didn't have like something he could like sell at the end of his uh, school year. Um, so I took that very, that advice very seriously and I was like, okay, I have to make like a new issue come out every semester. So I have something to also make profit from. Um, so yeah, it just kind of came out that way. And then, uh, you know, eventually you get a book's worth by doing that. So I, one of the things that's interesting about those strips is that over time you try more and more variations on the strip. And it's like from a three panel and then, you know, more and more and more, and then you're doing one panels. So say something about that. Why, why, why those changes? What was going on? It's there? like, I, I tell people I kind of like, I cut my teeth, like learning comics with Pizza Punks because, um, Dunk was like, the comic section was like the centerfold two-page spread. So we were told you can only have like a little bit of space and that you shouldn't go crazy with your comic. Um, but, and then I had classroom assignments where they were like, make a three-page comic or make an eight-page comic. So I was like, okay, how do I make a Pizza Punk strip into an eight-page comic? So, you know, I'd try to do that for that assignment. Um, and then when I kind of got used to extending the story, I went back, you know, and started doing one panel comics because I thought that would be fun to, um, you know, try out and then I could learn something from making those one panels and apply it to my eight page comics. So the next project is Dakwakata Warriors. Mm. So tell us how that strip came about first. Well, I had finished Emily Carr, like I finished my degree, and uh, it was, I spent my first summer in Vancouver, because normally I'd, I'd go back home to the Yukon and work um, my day job. And then uh, I had all summer in Vancouver to have fun and experience, um, you know, life in Vancouver in the summer. And uh, I got offered to um, do a lecture on Indigenous comics um, for the Vancouver Art Book Fair. And on top of that, they were like, we'll give you a free table. Um, we'll give you all these opportunities. So I got, you know, the offer a couple months prior. So I was like, okay, I want to make a new book for this opportunity. Um, so I created Dakota Warriors for that. And uh, it was just kind of came out from being homesick and wanting to create something that made me connect to my community again. Um, and also something that was like for my community because it's something I've always wanted to do was incorporate my indigenous culture and my comics love and kind of just like, you know, blend it in together. And uh, yeah, Dakota Warriors came out of that. So who are they? Tell me who they are, Dakota Warriors. Well, my elevator pitch is that they're two native Power Rangers and they fight against the evil pioneer and a cyborg Sasquatch. Um, and that's usually what sells the book every time at a comic <laughs> convention. So. It's, it's a really a work of indigenous futurism, right? I mean, these guys are flying around in spaceships. So what, is that, what does indigenous futurisms mean to you? Well, it's the concept of not only ourselves as people, but our culture and community um, is still existing, you know, a thousand years from now. And in fact, it's thrived so much since that thousand years. And um, it's kind of like considering all the hard work we're putting in today 
and then being really hopeful and being like, well, if we work this hard this year and we work twice as hard next year and the next year after that, what will our community look like a thousand years from now? Um, so, you know, I wanted to celebrate that and kind of show my community and my, like the youth from my, my hometown that like we will go on, you know, and that there's something to look forward to. So there's, there's a variety of ways in which you engage your community and in, in, engage your First Nations status and your indigeneity, um, including that it's a multilingual. Yeah. Comic. Yeah, I really wanted the book to be bilingual and it's kind of become like a staple in my artwork now. Um, and that just comes from, like I wanted to make my comics look indigenous. I wanted to make it look like it was clearly from my community. But then I thought, what's the next step? You know, like how can I make this more indigenous? How can I make it more for my community? And then I realized if I incorporate my indigenous language in the book, then it really is for my community because they can use it as practice and, you know, um, apply their uh, like language learning skills to the book and, um, you know, keep moving on with uh, uh, being a language warrior. So in order to do that, you had to collaborate with some elders. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, my hometown, uh, you could learn Southern Toshone um, starting kindergarten. And then in grade seven, you can finally choose between French and Southern Toshone. So I chose Southern Toshone from kindergarten to grade 12. And I had the same teacher, um, Vivian Smith and um, uh, Martha Smith. And um, they, uh, they just saw me grow up and they taught me my whole life. And, uh, you know, when I finished art school, I asked them, uh, I asked Vivian, like, uh, can you translate some words for me because I want to make this book? And she was like, yes, let's do it. Like, she was overjoyed. Like, she really wanted to do it. Um, so not only did I get her help, but she was, like, very enthusiastic about it and very helpful. Tell us some of the other th elements, like the weapons that the that the warriors carry, things like that. The 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 palette of the book itself. Yeah. Well, so <clears throat> you know, I wanted to make it about the culture and my community, and one of the ways to you know make it more about my community was to include the traditional tools that we use. So, um, you know, instead of a lightsaber, it's like a light atlatl, um, so like a throwing spear. Um, or a fishing gaff, um, and uh, yeah, you know, that's like a nod to Star Wars, but it's also a nod to all the traditional weapons that we used. So both of these books, all of your books, started out as zines, and then you collect them into the books, and then they mm. get published. So tell us about the, the Rizzo print uh, technique that you use for Dakwada Warriors. Yeah, so um, Rizograph is just kind of like a, I think it was like a printing method that was created in the 80s. Um, and uh, it didn't really catch on in the 80s. It caught on in like the like early 2010s <laughs> and um, mainly from zine hipsters like me who um, like the, the process and like the method and like the, the end product because um, how I describe it, it's kind of like silkscreen printing but without um, having to do the screen yourself because you can print two colors at the same time, like two solid colors. Um, so, to print a zine, a risograph zine with four colors, you'd have to pump the paper through twice, right? And change the, the, the color drums. Um, so, I just really like the aesthetic of what print 
uh, like Rezo printing does, because um, it kind of has like this grainy effect, um, and it kind of looks like uh, like vintage comics essentially, you know, and uh, the like the simple like two colors really helps with Rezo too, and you can really like shine with having that, you know. So for Darkwater Warriors. You know, I was like, I need to make a black, white, and red because those are just like traditional colors of um, the Pacific Northwest, um, and I wanted it to like stay true to that. Um, but my new book, I have one coming out that's um, it's like dark purple with lavender, and it's going to get printed on pink paper. <laughs> um, so it's like I'm doing the same Rezo method of two colors, but I'm kind of like really leaning into the three shades of purple. And pizza, pizza, pizza punks is a totally different. Palette also, it's totally different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for Pizza Punks, I wanted it to be like, um, to be like a flyer, you know, because you can print a punk flyer for a show, and you print it on like lime green and pink and purple and blue and st like all these bright colors. Um, so I just did the same thing with the zines. So I'd print, you know, the zine on bright like neon pink or neon orange, um, and then when the collection came out, my publisher was like. Do you want to print on white paper? And I was like, no, <laughs> I want I want it to look like a block of cheese. <laughs> a block of cheese. Yeah, so you know we got yeah we got to print it on orange paper, and uh, you know it just looks like a big fat zine now, and uh, you know it also still looks like a flyer at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, I'm really happy with it. That's cool. So um, not the book that's about to come out, but the book after these two, uh, Quander. Mm. So first of all, what does that mean in English? Uh, story. Okay. Tell us about that. It's it's somewhat in, it's somewhat different than the other two books. Yeah. So Quander, um, my publisher uh, was like, Darkwater Warriors did so well. Pete's Punks is uh, doing great. Like, what's next? And I was like, Well, I have a bunch of short stories that we could collect and make into a book. And he said, Okay, let's do it. So I collected um, a bunch of stories I've done for magazines and websites and self-published zines or like gallery shows essentially like comics that i made that only saw like a small pool of viewers you know like only so many people went on the website or only so many people get the free magazine because it's only like a regional magazine so um i wanted to collect it all and put it in one book to kind of like give everything a second life and you know it also is way more accessible to be collected in one volume rather than like tell people they have to go buy a magazine that came out two years ago to go read the comic. Um, so when I was making it, you know, I, I kind of ended up color coding the chapters. So like, there's like a blue chapter that's like about winter. There's like a black and white chapter. There's a full color chapter. There's a, a hide brown chapter that I call it. It's like all different shades of brown. Um, so yeah, you know, I kind of just went more creative with like, uh, the design and stuff, because I do that all myself. And it's also got a lot of stories that are personal stories. Mm. I mean, you're a character and your family. Yeah, yeah I kind of unintentionally made an autobio book. Um, and I came from, just keep on, I kept on getting offers from people being like, can we have your opinion about something? And I'd go, okay, but I guess that means I have to draw myself because it's about my opinion or my own story. Um, so yeah, the, the whole book, it's like sprinkled in all these autobio comics, um, and it kind of like gives a good placement of like who I am and my community, but then also like our cultural practices, you know, like um, with like land claims or indigenous sports or 
just like camping, you know, just like having fun on the land. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned already a couple times that these, all, all of these works originally appeared in other forms and then you've collected them into these books and the, they're originally self-published or published in, in alternative magazines, but now they're collected and they're getting published by, you know, commercial presses. So you said partially that's about accessibility. Say a little bit more about that experience of moving from being really DIY to being like books being sold from a commercial publisher. Yeah, well, um, you know, like five or six years ago before I was published, um, people would be like, I saw your comic in Toronto. And I, I'd have to say, well, that's because I went there and I, I sold them the copy. So like, I'm stoked that you're stoked that you saw my book there, but also I did the work to make the book uh, be on sale um, on that shelf. So um, with Conundrum, <coughs> Andy's so good at distribution and, um, you know, he's he's got distribution in Europe, he's got distribution in North America, um, all over the world. Like I've had friends go to like Spain and they found my comics there. Um, and that's through Andy, you know, that's through my publisher um, having a wider reach than me with distribution. And, um, you know, working with him, my print runs are a lot bigger. Like, so with, when I was self-publishing, it, it was maybe like 300 copies or 500 copies of a book. Um, but with Andy, you know, we're printing like 2,000 or 3,000. Um, so the, the accessibility is a lot easier and the distribution's already there for me and I don't have to do the, that effort myself. Um, and, uh, also, Andy's just really great to work with. Like, he's been very helpful, and uh, he's pretty much let me do anything I want at this point. And, you know, like, uh, with Quandur, you know, I asked it, it to be full color and there to be French flaps and stuff like that, and he was just like, yeah, let's do it. So, it keeps, yeah. Don't let go of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. a rare thing. Yeah. Um, so your books re regularly feature a section after the narrative that provides background on the project and also really interestingly a portfolio of artworks by other artists interpreting your uh, imagery. Yeah, So yeah. why do you do that? Why is that important? Well, <clears throat> for Dakota Warriors specifically, um, my publisher, Andy, he was like, you need to do a, a bonus DVD featurette. That's what he <laughs> called it, essentially. Where, you know, it's like the making of and explanation of the cultural elements and why I did things, you know, the rhyme and reason for everything because you know, self-publishing it, I'm self-publishing it and selling it in the Yukon, mainly in Canada. So a lot of the people I'm selling the book to are pretty aware of indigenous history and indigenous culture. And they kind of get like the nods that I'm, I'm making in the comic. Um, but Andy was like, we're releasing this and distributing it around the world. So you need to have something that explains um, the backstory for someone, you know, in California that has no clue about Pacific Northwest culture. Um, so I came up with that comic to include in the collection. And then the pinup section that you're talking about where I have um, uh, my brother-in-law, Blake Shakun uh, Lapine, I got Gord Hill, Wes Harmon, and uh, Teresa Vandermeer. Um, that just comes from traditional comics, you know, because often, you know, superhero comics have variant covers or they have pinups in the back or like the back cover will be a pinup by a guest artist. Um, you know, it's, it's always interesting to me to see an interpretation of a character from a different artist. Um, and uh, there's a lot of like, 
question about like you know in drawing indigenous characters and um, who can draw them essentially you know and it like is it cultural appropriation essentially um, so I thought you know if I ask all these indigenous artists that I really admire and appreciate um, they'll have a chance to kind of like fit that that um, that groove you know and get to have that opportunity where they get to draw a character and, and have a pinup and uh, you know, selfishly, I really wanted to see what they would create, you know, for my characters. <laughs> That's cool. It's cool. So you mentioned, you know, that you, you started out a lot of the people that were reading them were from your home community. So say a little bit about how your work's been received there. Uh, really positively. I mean, when Dakota Warriors came out, I did the, like, the book premiere in my hometown. And um, we had, like, a big community uh, dinner. So there was like a dinner at the cultural center and there was cake and we had traditional performers. Um, so we had a couple dance groups and uh, I did an artist talk and uh, it really felt like, you know, my community finally got to see like our community on like the comic spotlight in like a correct way, you know, in a way that is represented how we want to be represented, not just like how someone thinks we should be represented, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's, it was really positive, and uh, I'm very proud to say I have my community backing me with pretty much all my projects, and even today, like, the comics I'm making, I'm still working with the same collaborators, and um, I can ask more people now because my nation has a language program that's two years long, mm -hmm. and I've had a couple friends that have taken it now, and they've graduated, and now they're teaching in the program. Um, so I'm having even more resources now because it's not just like I'm going after the same um, elder or the same community member. Now I have like a group of people I can ask questions to and uh, that's very helpful. <laughs> so you are also an illustrator. You've done tons of illustration. Mm -hmm. I mean on your CV there's a huge list. So say something about how you approach the idea of being an illustrator versus being a comics guy. Well I think Comics for me, it's easier because it's like you can lean on multiple illustrations to get your point, right? Like you can have multiple panels on the page and tell your story. With illustrations, you know, it's like a one and done. You have to make the whole story into one drawing. Um, and that can either be like a blessing or a curse sometimes, you know? And uh, I. Luckily now I'm in a position where I don't have to say yes to everything and I can just say yes to the things I want to do now. Um, so, uh, like, I don't know, it's like lately I did like a, I did a cover for my friend's Nation Skate Youth, uh, like a skateboarding photo book. And uh, originally they just wanted a spot illustration of a bear or like a drawing from me. So I drew a bear assembling a skateboard. And then they loved it so much they wanted me to do the cover. They were like, let's make it the cover, not just a spot illustration. So I had to draw the background for it. And then I played, like I collaged them on Photoshop together and then I colored it digitally and stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to do jobs now that like I think make sense for my career. And also, you know, I like to do favors for my friends too at the same time. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, you used to go back home for the summer for your day job, you said. And you've just said that now you can be a little more selective about your your illustration job. So do you have a day job? Are you done with day jobs? Uh, I mean, at the moment, yes. Yes. I've been a full-time artist for five years now. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. So obviously, that's because you've had success. And, you know, 
the m more of your books that get published, the more people that f become familiar with your work, the more success you have. So what's that been like for you? Um, I mean, you I mean, started out this game as a yeah. young man. I mean, you yeah. were still in getting your bachelor's degree. Mm. So what's that been like? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a huge learning experience, you know. Um, the self-publishing game versus the the publishing world um, are pretty different. And uh, it's, uh, I just feel like I'm doing the same thing, but just more eyes are looking at me now. You know, that's kind of the only difference because I'm still in the same apartment. I'm still drawing at the same desk. You know, I'm still using the same supplies. Um, I haven't upgraded anything. I'm just like still using the same system I've always used since um, art school. And uh, now I just have an opportunity where I can self-publish the stuff immediately that I want. And then in the long run, you know, I have Andy to use as a publisher and have it so it gets distributed throughout the world. Yeah, but now you're getting invitations to universities to come and give lectures. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't used to happen, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it started because of Dockler Warriors, like 100%. Um, so yeah, I just, I say yes to these opportunities when I, when I can. What's that been like? Uh, it's been fun, but it's also a little bit overwhelming just because like sometimes you're away for a long time away from home. Like yeah. I've done like month long residencies before and I've learned a month is a long time to be away from your dog. <laughs> what do you do with your dog? <laughs> oh, I, I just have a chihuahua and I just, I love him to death. He's like my child essentially. I told, I told my parents between my books and my chihuahua, that's the closest thing to a grandchild they're gonna get. Yeah. Uh, so in these journeys that you're taking, are you teaching at all? Uh, it's mostly just lectures. Um, I did have office hours in a university, um, like the month-long residency I did, I had office hours. Um, but uh, I've done substitute teaching for Emily Carr before, but that was that was before my books were even published. That was like Pizza Punks when I was self-publishing them still. How are they, how, how's Emily Carr dealing with you? What are they, how, how are they, are they banging on your drawer a lot? Oh yeah, I mean, I, um, I've done a lecture in a classroom last semester. I've uh, done conferences with uh, all the professors about racism because uh, the first chapter in Quander, I, I, I roasted Emily Carr for that, um, an experience I had them. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, they hired me to critique their racism, like. Uh, protocol and stuff like that. So I got to yell at a bunch of professors about shit they did wrong, like 10 years ago, <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> so Cole, we're coming to the end of our time. This will be my last question. You already alluded to it, but why don't you tell us a little bit more? What are you working on now? Well, I have a book coming out in the fall called We Only See Stars at Night, and it's also published by Conundrum, and it's a uh, a wordless narrative comic that is, is like a surreal landscape that kind of like flows into each other. Um, and I'm doing, I've done no pre-planning for it. I just sit down and I do the page and then I do the next page and the next and the next until I think it's done. Um, so that's coming out in the fall. And then I'm also self-publishing a, a new romance comic called He Loves Her. Um, a romance comic? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing a romance comic. 
Um, yeah, and then I have a couple other books that I've written that I need to sit down and actually draw. I have like five years of drawing to do, so I need to sit down and actually do the work. <laughs> do you what? Do you are you do you like you spend most of the day doing it when you're you know in your studio? Yeah, I, I like to. Uh, I usually wake up, make coffee. I read a bunch of comics while I drink coffee. Um, and then if I feel up for it, I'll re reply to some emails. And then once I've gotten some work done in the afternoon, I've kind of like woken up my brain. Um, I sit down and draw. And I draw until, you know, my heart's content. Sometimes it's two hours. Sometimes it's 12 hours. Um, yeah, I, I mostly just hang out in my pajamas and draw all day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good gig. Um, Cole Pauls, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It's been great talking to you. Of course. I've been speaking with Cole Pauls, a Talton comic, uh, comics artist, illustrator, and printmaker. He gave the second talk in this year's Indigenous Comics Speaker Series on February 21st, 2024, hosted by the Native American and Indigenous Studies Program and the Comics and Cartoon Studies Program at the University of Oregon. Thanks so much for watching. <laughs>